welcome to episode 51 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. I hope you guys really enjoyed the 50th episode of the show last week. That was a lot of fun to hear from all of you people uh, about what you've learned from the show and what we've uh, all kind of experienced here with this like basically year over a year now journey with this uh, with this show in the last 50 episodes but uh, today we've got a really good guest here somebody I've known on Twitter for a long time somebody that I've gone back and forth with uh even been a guest on their podcast and this is really just it's all a reciprocal relationship here in the podcast world so we've got Charles McDonald from uh, SB Nations the Falcoholic uh, the Bleacher Report 1000 series, and also the Setting the Edge podcast, where he is, where he and Justice go back and forth between who can possibly be the worst co-host uh, that <laughs> week. <laughs> all, all in good, all in good fun here, of course. But uh, you yeah. know, Chuck, what's going on, man? I don't know the months. I'm, I'm happy that I've been deemed interesting enough to come on the Backyard Banter podcast. Well, when I saw you were on the Ringer podcast, I was like, all right. I guess that's. <laughs> I guess he's legit enough now for me to bring on this show. Yeah, I, I took a step up with this one. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good uh, that's good stuff here. So, always kind of start the show asking the guests like, how did you kind of get into football? How did you kind of get bitten by that bug at the be- very beginning of your of your story here? You mean like interested in football? Interested or in football. yes? Oh, uh, well. I'm a for those who don't follow me on Twitter, I'm a diehard Falcons fan, unfortunately. And uh How are like, you doing, by the way? Just we if before we even get to that, let's talk through let's <laughs> talk through some of the Falcons stuff because it's it really is like um you know, I, I like have a complicated relationship with the Panthers. Um I, I can't really call myself a fan because that would be disingenuous, but it's a weird feeling when your team kind of loses. Like, I mean, not when they lose the Super Bowl, especially when like you actually care. I I don't really care. But yeah. where are you in the in the stages of grief? Uh, I'm at the making jokes about it stage. Like for for like a good two weeks, I was just I I didn't even want to think about football. I didn't turn on ESPN and NFL Network for like a good week after that game. But uh, now it just it's just, it's kind of funny to to make jokes about it because I mean like if you if you know the Falcons history. That was like peak Falcons thing to happen to them. You know, I mean, you look back at this season, they had like the the two point conversion play with Eric Berry against the Chiefs, and then a few years ago, Vic getting arrested, and you know, guys getting arrested before the Super Bowl in 1998. It's just it's just a franchise filled with like comedic errors, and that is just the latest one. So now we can kind of just sit back and laugh at that. Yeah, they just turned it up to 11. I have to say, I think my favorite um, part watching part of watching you kind of not just on Twitter uh, but also in your podcast kind of have that range of emotions was the story you told about how you were you went on Tinder afterwards and, <laughs> <laughs> and used that as like a pickup line I thought that was genius yeah yeah the hit rate wasn't that wasn't that successful but we actually I actually did get a date off that and I will never talk to that girl again it's a long story <laughs> no well I mean we don't need to get into all that but I, I would say it's kind of a red flag right away if a girl's like yeah I'll go out with you if you if your pickup line was my team just you know got lost just lost in the Super Bowl uh help me recover from that <laughs> you know I think I think that is kind of a right off the bat a little bit of a, a little bit of a red flag but no it's all it's all funny so it's good to hear that you're doing uh, you're doing better, and you're at the at yeah. part where you can kind of laugh at it now. That's that's good stuff. But back back to the original question, where you're being a Falcons fan and kind of how that got you into football and everything. Uh, well, I was born in Decatur, Georgia, which is like right outside of Atlanta, so uh, I didn't really understand football, uh, you know, like what was going on. But Michael Vick was just like he was like Superman to me, and. You know, like in that early 2000 era, we had, uh, you know, Michael Vick and me and my family, we had just moved up to Baltimore at that point, actually. So, uh, you know, we had Vick back in Atlanta and then, you know, Ray Lewis just starting his career. So you had those, the Ravens team that won the Super Bowl and Vick, and it was just all really exciting. And uh, I just wanted to learn more about it. So I started playing football when I was seven years old in first grade. And uh, I played it all the way up through my first stint in college like i actually transferred to loyola university now but i played it from age seven to 20 so it's pretty much been my entire life yeah that's the michael vick thing is fascinating i was actually i just met up this weekend got the 
opportunity. It was a lot of fun. We uh, franchise and I met up with the sponsor of our Fantasy Hipsters podcast, uh, the guy who uh, owns and operates Do Champs Grooming, and and he's uh, from. They live. He lives in Virginia now. Um, and I think he had a, has a background there too. And we got into a big discussion about like how much, like basically Michael Vick is like essentially a God, uh, in, in the Virginia area, even despite, uh, what, what, what he, what he did obviously with the dog fighting, which is which yeah. was horrific, but kind of ditch into that a little bit. What does Michael Vick mean to you as a person? You kind of talked on it a little bit, but also like. What was what's it been kind of like seeing him come full circle? I know that was there was a great piece that he wrote in the Players Tribune about uh, Atlanta as a team finding this big success. Yeah, uh, I think I think the line, you know, just going back to that piece he wrote for the Players Tribune. If you haven't seen it, it's I mean it's, it's a little dated now because the Super Bowl is about two months ago, but it's it's still fantastic. But the part where he was talking about he wanted you know little black kids to see like a quarterback in the NFL because there just there aren't that many and. Uh, it, it was cool, you know, just kind of seeing him play the game in such a different way than you saw, you know, your standard pocket drop back quarterback play. And, you know, he's ma- out there making runs. And I think in like 06, he had over a thousand yards on like eight yards per carry, which is just nuts. So just to, to see him be, you know, like, like a, the black quarterback of Atlanta that plays way different than anybody else is playing right now. It, it was, I mean, it, it, he was like almost a mythical figure at at, at his peak in Atlanta, and then, uh, you know, the dog fighting thing was was pretty bad, and uh, to say the least. And I mean, I'm a dog lover. I have two puppies. I had a old dog a few years ago, so it it, it it was hard at first for me to, you know, start rooting for him again. But he did so much in like the Philadelphia community when he came out, and he really he like when you talk about athlete redemption stories he's he's it like he did everything that you would want someone who messed up to kind of rectify the public image so uh when he came back with the eagles i was still a huge fan and he i remember he had that game i think it was a monday night against the washington we threw like six touchdowns and threw ran a couple more in and it it was just awesome to see him uh just to see him back out there in action and actually this year i was at the final regular season game at the Georgia Dome for the Saints against the Saints this year and they had a uh, a ceremony for all the old Falcons players and you know we had like Brian Finnerton and uh like Ward Dunn was out there and then as, as the old guys you know they were standing midfield Roddy White and uh Michael Vick come out driving a convertible out of the locker room on the midfield and I mean that is the loudest I've ever heard the Georgia Dome erupt. I mean, there there was there were some people like wiping away tears. I might have been one of them. I'm not going to admit to that, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, just he's he's pretty much the reason why I love football. And uh, yeah, I, I, he he holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah, and th- you know, you talk about the dog fighting thing, and like obviously this is a, this is a pro dog podcast. Uh, yeah. and this, I run a very pro dog Twitter account. Uh, clearly Charlie is here with co- uh, co-hosting uh, as always, but like, so I, I had a, like a really hard time kind of dealing with it too, you know, in the process of like welcoming him back to the league because, you know, it, I, in all reality too, like you went to jail for like gambling stuff too. Like you don't even really get, go to jail for two years for dog fighting. And I think it's important sometimes to remember like what different cultural uh, backgrounds people come from uh, especially like in that region of the south and all that like mm-hmm. I can remember uh, Clinton Portis even in this I was back living in Virginia at the time so I, I can remember this very clearly like he said something essentially to the to the effect of like what's the big deal like afterwards and 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 Washington the Washington football team sat him down was like Mm-mm, like read him the riot act like yo dude you cannot say don't say that right here. right so it's just it's a tough thing to deal with. I see, I know a lot of dog people and animal lovers still can't deal with the Michael Vick thing, but like, like you said, he is really the picture perfect example of a, of a redemption story, but continuing along your story, Charles. Go, so obviously you play football, you play in college. Um, what kind of led you to want to, to write about or to, to cover the game? Uh, well, so I started after high school, I went to, uh, Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, and 
at first, I, I mean, I just went there to play football. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just started playing football. And then, you know, some most of my friends there at the time were uh, business majors. So like, all right, I'll just, you know, major in business while I'm here. And I absolutely hated business. Like I, I was, it was, it was just the most boring subject to me. And I, I couldn't stand going to class each day. But you know, it stuck it up for a year, and then after I thought about it, you know, after my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I, I was good at writing papers in high school. Maybe I should be an English major. And you know, Gettysburg has a very—it's a liberal arts school, so there aren't really many majors that you can pick from. So I just I picked English, and uh, going into my so during my sophomore season, I uh, hurt my back, got herniated discs and like nerve damage, so I had to stop playing football. And after that, I just realized like I wasn't as attached to the school as I thought I was. I was just kind of there to play football. And if I couldn't play football anymore, like why am I here? So I took some time off to you know just do some soul searching, like figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I just started like writing about football for fun at first, you know, just to just to see you know if people would read it, if people would like it. And because like, you know, like when you you watch like ESPN or you read stuff on NFL.com. No slight to you, but like you read it and <laughs> you're like, you're like, you know, I, I can, I can do stuff like this. You know, uh, this is doable for me. I feel like I know the game just as well or better as some of these people. So why don't I just, you know, what the hell? I'll try it out. So I started writing on Fansided.com, uh, NFL mocks, and that was, that was, it, it was a nice experience. But you know, getting no money to just grind out, you know, scouting report after a scouting report. It, it sucked. So, uh, I ended up going to football savages, rest in peace, mm. like right before the 2015 draft. And I think that's when you first followed me on Twitter. And, uh, uh, from there, you know, I got to meet, you know, my friend, justice Mosqueda, uh, Ben, or Ben, Atan, uh, Eric Stoner, Andrew Parsons, you know, like we, we, we've been friends for a while now. And after that, you know, after the 2015 draft, I was, you know, pestering this guy who, who, who runs the Falcoholic, Dave Cho. I was just sending him like all my stuff. I was like, Hey, you know, like I read your stuff all the time. If you need someone to do film breakdowns for you, then, uh, you know, I'm your man. Like I, I can, I just really want to see what it'd be like having, a mainly Falcons, uh, I guess readership is that the right word? Yes, works for me. Okay, <laughs> uh, having mainly a Fal- like yeah, having Falcons fans read my stuff, and you know, after I badgered him enough, he he let me come on. It was uh, September of like right before the, the season started, so they have that game against the uh, the Eagles on Monday night to start off the 2015 season. I I just wrote you know a film breakdown of how Seattle's uh, like how Chip Kel- or how Dan Quinn stopped. Uh, Chip Kelly's offense back in Seattle and how he could do the same in Atlanta and people just loved it like it 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 uh, got me probably like just a thousand followers from that piece alone and I just started doing week- weekly film breakdowns on there and I would post like people to watch for the draft for, uh, for college football each week and then I went to the senior bowl after the season uh, thanks to Eric Galco Optimum Scouting uh, you should definitely buy the draft guide it's great work uh, so I got to work on the the draft guide after the 2015 season uh going to the 2016 draft and he got me credentialed to go out to to mobile alabama for the senior bowl and then i met uh ian kenyon my boss who hires me now and is a great person uh very smart man and uh you know the rest is kind of history so after I, i finished working on uh galco's draft guide which was an experience, to say the least. <laughs> as, a, as a former alum of the Optimum Scouting Draft Guide, it is it is quite an experience. Yeah, quite an experience. You know, get, getting a text at like 11.30 from Galco, hey, do you have this scouting report done yet? You text him back ASAP, and he doesn't respond for like three or four days. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but So after uh, we came back from the Senior Bowl, we got the draft guide finished up. Uh, I started to uh I, I realized that this is what i wanted to do you know i was good at it and people liked that it and you know it never it never feels unless it's like something tedious like like a mod draft or something like that it never really feels like work it just feels like you know i'm right about football and it's fun and someone wants to pay me for it that's cool 
And uh, in August, Ian Kenyon offered me a job at Bleach Report to work on the NFL 1000 crew. And I, that was actually when I had just gotten back into school last semester too. So I'm at Loyola University, Maryland now, studying communications and writing about football. It's fun. No doubt. Um, there's a couple of things that are fascinating about what, what you said there. Was like first one is that feeling of and I find it funny you say that about NFL.com. I think before, let's put it this way: <laughs> maybe you felt that way before uh, before July of 2015, ballpark around that area. Before then, who knows? But now it's really up to snuff. But anyways, no, um, <laughs> I, I like because I used to feel the same way. I used to like listen to podcasts back in the day and be like. Yo, I can do that. I mean, come on. I can. I, I know just as much about it as what these guys are talking about. Has there ever been a feeling when you kind of act after you kind of got into the into the meat grinder of all this that you then thought like, whoa, maybe this there's a little bit of difference than uh, there's a little bit different than what I think. Have you ever felt like you're in over your head or anything like that, or has it just been seamless? Like, nope, I knew I was going to be good at this, and and here I am. No, uh, I mean, I want. I don't want to sound like. Like, like, I don't want to brag, but yeah, this is a pro it, arrogance it, podcast. Okay, as well, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's been as it's been as easy as I thought it was, I guess. Just just to get it started off, because I mean, I would I would go to uh, like some websites and it would just be like rankings and stuff. I'm like, yo, like this is like people sit back and read this stuff. Like we can I, like why not? Why don't we try to give people something with a little bit more substance, a little bit more flavor, and. Uh, so I, I didn't. Even, I just started doing film breakdowns, and I found that if you can do the film breakdowns, like if you can find a little niche in that corner, like you know, like Stoner, Eric Stoner is really good at those. Mm. When he wrote Roto World, and Justice is still phenomenal at them. So like if you can find a little niche right there, and you know, have people come to you as a resource, uh, I, I found that that that's been really helpful in you know helping me slowly walk my way up. Yeah, and. It's. I, I'm, I want to encourage you to say like, no, it's been as easy as we thought, or no, I've never been <laughs> uncomfortable because I think it's an important point that I think as Matthew Friedman said this in one of the episodes back in season one, like this isn't meant for everybody. Like some people do get into it and then they're like, no, nah, this is not what I thought it would be. And you know, there were certain parts where um, I'm sure like my first you know five or ten podcasts that I ever went on, I was terrible uh, at podcasting because it's just it's a little bit different than uh, than you think, but. Yeah, my point in that is that like for some people, really, are, you are just like naturally inclined to do to do this sort of thing, but not everybody's like that. Um, and the other point that you made there that I kind of want to emphasize, want to emphasize, is that pestering the the Falcoholics guy. Like, <laughs> do you ever? Because I I I've done the same thing in in the past. Like when I wrote for Black and Blue Review for a season, the Panthers website. That was basically I got that gig because I just pestered the hell out of bill voth and was like hey you guys don't have any films like it's pretty the same sort of thing you guys don't have yeah. any film stuff like i can do that for you like and whatever uh but is there ever a, was there ever kind of like an insecurity moment where it's like oh maybe am i because this i do this i am like the king of insecurity in these moments but like where you're just a little like am i being too annoying or what is the boundary that you kind of are willing to push there when you're because a lot of people struggle with that yeah i mean i i feel like i'm pretty good at being able, like telling when you're going too far with pestering. But I think if you can just kind of keep it friendly, it's not like you have to be overly aggressive, just like, Hey, you know, I, I here's what I've written and I see you guys are kind of missing that. So, you know, if the opening ever comes up, you can, you know, uh, I'd be happy to take it. And then, you know, I, I would just do that maybe like once or twice a month for an entire summer. And then like right at the end of the summer, he, he, uh, he brought me on and, that was that was probably the Falcoholic is probably like my where I took like my, my biggest step so far from going from football savages to the Falcoholic was was a pretty big step for me. Well, and you often have to you have to be a little bit annoying to get those those few steps. And I think it also helps that you were saying like and I didn't have this, but well, I guess I did. But but you had more of like you could kind of send him some links too, like, hey, this is some stuff I'm doing. I'd like to do this for you. And I, I would encourage any listeners out there that have that same sort of uh, mindset of like, I need to start kind of just continually saying, Hey, I can do this for you. Hey, I can do this for you. Have an example of it. Uh, that helps <laughs> a lot <laughs> than just to say like, I could do this, be like, I am doing this, but let me turn around and, and, and do it for you. So on the NFL 1000, 
What has, I mean, this is an open-ended question, but what has that experience been like? Because, I mean, you have, you're responsible for, for what position group now? The defensive, uh, the defensive tackles. Right. Um, so you pretty much have to watch uh, all of the defensive tackles in the NFL. Is that, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, it, it's messed up because, so the, the, the defensive ends, which Justice and Joe Goodberry work on, they're split into AFC and NFC. The cornerbacks, which Kyle Posey and Ian Warden work on, they're split by conference. And, you know, almost every almost every almost every position that has like a high volume of players, so like offensive tackle, defensive end, receiver, tight end, you know, cornerback, safeties, they're all split in the conference. But for some reason, the defensive tackles didn't get split into conferences. So I had to watch every single snap of defensive tackle play this year. And, you know, it, 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 I think the title of, you know, NFL 1000 defensive tackle scout is cool. And like people will come ask you it's about stuff like that, but it, it's a grind during the season. Uh, I remember I was, I was kind of counting down the days to the end of the se- regular season because after the regular season is over, you, you just have, you know, four games for wildcard weekend, four games for divisional weekend, and then uh, the two games for championship weekend. We didn't have to grade the Super Bowl which is lucky because I still haven't watched that back yet. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it's fun. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grind, though. It's so sure for, grind. for people that aren't, might not be familiar with the series, uh, NFL 1000, what, what is kind of the basis of it? Is, what, are, what are you doing on a week-to-week basis with, uh, with the project? So we're, we're watching the games and grading the players for each week, and it's not, it's not cumulative until the end of the season. So, you know, for... Any, so I remember like there was one week where uh, Starlo Tulele for the Panthers, he had like a three-sack game, and he was number one that week, and then he was like in the 50s the week after that. And people would be like, well, how could his ranking drop from you know one to 50 in one week? I'm like, well, because it's just based on one week at a time. And then at the end of the season, we get to see all the grades like compiled up from each week, and that's how you get the, the final scores, I would say. Um and then after that, we just kind of had – right now we're working on our draft pieces. Uh, so if your team needs uh, a defensive tackle, I've, you'll, you'll be able to read about it in the coming days. Some have already been pumped out, like the NFC East and NFC West, I think. So uh, just stay on the lookout for that. And, yeah, I, I, it's been a fun first year working for NFL 1000. I'm, I'm excited to see what, what the next year brings. So essentially, like uh, this was your first kind of season covering the league from more of like a heavy responsibility, full like full time basis sort of thing. Essentially, is um, and how how you mentioned like you get towards the end of the season, and believe me, <laughs> I I felt the same way kind of the last two years, especially working with fantasy. Like you're like just let's get to the end. Let's let's speed yeah. this up. But like that's a weird, it's also kind of a weird feeling. Cause like you said, you, you love football. This hardly ever feels like work. Uh, how do you juggle this, that sort of, that sort of balance? Uh, just by, you know, make, making sure like you're like, you keep your mind stimulated with other things besides just football. Cause I mean, I would just go insane if I, if all I did was NFL 1000, uh, but, you know, like I, I like to read, uh, like to play video games, like to exercise. So anything that you can do to kind of get away from it for a bit. And then obviously, you know, schoolwork helps with that, too. Mm, yeah, I suppose that I don't know. I don't understand how you do that, like while being in college. Let me tell you, if there was something that I, <laughs> I could not do, I didn't start this stuff until the year after I graduated. And I can't imagine possibly like trying to juggle schoolwork. But I was like actually trying to be really good at school so i don't i'm not saying you're yeah. not but like uh, that would have been a that would have been quite a, a juggling act <laughs> well i well the last semester was insane for me because well when i was at gettysburg uh i like to party a lot well yeah let's just leave it at that i like i like a, to this is a pro partying podcast yeah too. i like to have fun so when i when i left like and started back up at Loyola last semester i i didn't really I felt like I had gotten that phase out of me, you know, where I needed to, you know, go get hammered on a Wednesday like that. That I, I, I've gotten past that. Uh, so, I mean, being able to focus and kind of having like a clear view of what I wanted to do really helped. But I was I was also coaching high school football last semester. So I was <laughs> I was going to school doing NFL 1000 and then coaching and that 
I'm, I'm, I don't even know how I'm, I'm here talking today because that was crazy. So now, I mean, just doing classes in NFL 1000 without having coaches, it, it's it's like a breeze compared to last semester. Yeah, that's a, one way to get yourself used to a schedule is overload your schedule one one block of it and then be like, all right, now I'm just going to cut back. And as long as it's never hellacious of that, you can uh, you can always kind of you can always kind of get through it. Um, so let's. Uh, that's all that's all fascinating but one thing i think is great that you do now is the the podcast that you you have with justice um despite the fact that like we said you know justice is the worst uh yeah. but you guys do you, it's a great podcast if anybody out there hasn't heard of it it's called setting the edge um and it's called that because you guys have kind of carved out but before we get to like the this the, the vibe of the podcast what's great about you guys and and it's a uh, important for the thing that this podcast always preaches, which is like finding your niche and your unique piece of content. You guys are both really heavy on the defensive linemen. Um, I'm assuming that's like what you played when you played uh, football. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, the only year I didn't play defensive line was my first year, actually, uh, when I was seven years old. And I played tight end in safety and I got one throw at tight end for a touchdown. and I dropped it and then I got called <laughs> I got called for 12 men on the field at free safety like three or four times in that season. So after that, they were just like, all right, we'll, we'll move you down to the, to the offensive and defensive line. And I, I just, I never moved from that spot. So, uh, I mean, I, I grew up around, uh, like I, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Like I spent my fifth grade through ninth grade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, I was coached by AJ green who played in the league for a while, uh, one of my best friends, Hardy Nickerson, his dad played for the Jaguars and the Buccaneers back in the 90s. And uh, I was also coached by Dwight Clark, who, you know, unfortunately had the ASL or ALS uh, diagnosis uh, like about a week ago. So, you know, just kind of being around NFL guys like that and being able to pick their brains, even in middle school, I was, I was constantly asking them stuff about, you know, how would you line up here? How would you do so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And then when I came, I moved back to Baltimore in 10th grade. And my offensive line coach was uh, Spencer Falau. He played for the Ravens when they won the Super Bowl in 2000. And he taught me so much about the game, like just you know, little tricks that you can do to get off offensive linemen off balance. You know, we would we would go watch tape of him playing and, you know, we'd, we'd see him blocking Dwight Freeney and he would talk to us about like the fronts and the rules and all the blocking stuff like that. So, I mean, just kind of being immersed in it and, uh, just, you know, being around it every day it was it was it was a fun experience and being able to talk to guys who have been at the highest level of the game was it was invaluable and when i was in uh when i was a freshman at gettysburg i used to watch aaron donald clips at Pitt when uh you know when he was still there to try to see if i could you know put any of of my of his moves into my game but i'm not I can't run a four six, so <laughs> it was never really that success that successful. Uh, so just kind of being around uh, linemen my whole life and NFL players who who really taught me uh, a lot about the game really has kind of helped me like define like what I what I really like about football and, that, and that's defensive line play. And then this past season, I coached for uh, Mount Hebron High School, which is in uh, Ellicott City, Maryland, and my head coach used to be the pass rushers coach for the Ravens. I think his last year there was Terrell Suggs' second season. So he was he was just a huge resource for me too. Well, I have to imagine also then you get on kind of the, the draft Twitter scene or whatever, and, you know, there's not a lot of people pumping out content about defensive linemen or, defensive linemen or at least advanced work on it. So that's something you kind of – I don't know, maybe you look around and you think like, man, because that's how it was for me in receiver. I never played receiver, but like I look around, I see all the content on. I'm like, well, this mall mostly isn't very good. Uh, or, I think there, <laughs> or I think there's a large piece of the conversation that's missing. I'm guessing you kind of had that same sort of feeling about uh, the defensive lineman, or at least thought you can add a perspective to it. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, when I first got on the draft tour, I was like, dude, a lot of this stuff sucks. Like, like you're, like you're, like you're reading it, it's – it's really basic and like if I was a casual fan who didn't watch college football and I wanted to go read something, read something about uh, a guy that my team has been linked to in a mock draft, like a lot of it just wasn't helpful. It was, it was useless, just kind of like just it was just there, but it didn't really serve a purpose. Uh, so I just thought that if I could kind of write about, you know, defensive linemen 
technique and like a more, I guess, focused in view of defensive line play. And then, you know, write X and O's pieces that, uh, you know, stuff I learned while I was in college and then uh, through coaching. I, I thought that, you know, I could carve out a little space for myself. But I, I got started with writing about defensive linemen for the most part. That's that's what I like the most. And that kind of with justice, if anybody doesn't know, and obviously joking when we say justice is the worst. Like I met justice in real life. He's a he's a he's a real life friend. Uh, can yeah. confirm. Um, and you guys do, but he does great work with the defensive lineman too, especially with his his metric like force players or math rushers or what whatever the hell he's calling it these days. Um, like <laughs> that's a very good uh, piece of defensive lineman content, kind of like a filter of you know possible success or not and so it's so it's cool to see you guys kind of combine uh forces like that but uh you don't really just like it's not just a a one-hour discussion on um on defensive linemen or anything like that can you kind of describe the the vibe or or the the approach that you guys wanted to take with the podcast uh well it, it wasn't the podcast wasn't even planned really like i remember it was in December and justice was just, we like, we were both, uh, we were just drunk. Like we were just texting each other and just was like, yo, do you want to start a podcast? Like, hell yeah. I want to start a podcast. I was like, when do you want to record? He's like tomorrow. I was like, uh, all right, let's do it. So we just kind of, it just kind of started like that. And, uh, I, I feel like that's kind of how the vibe is on the show. Like we're like justice. I, I feel comfortable saying justice is one of my, one of my best friends. We've, you know, stayed stay together at the Senior Bowl twice. We talk every single day. We, you know, tell real life stories about each other. Uh, so it's cute. It, it, yeah, it's, it's cute. Uh, so, I mean, it's just us having a conversation for the most part. And then uh, we usually split it up into us uh, talking about stuff that happened in the NFL that week, or we'll take questions if it's a slow time. And then we'll have a guest on after we do our little spiel. And the, the guests have been pretty wide ranging from yes. you know from you to Ian Rappaport and Miko Grimes uh how did was, you get how did you get Miko Grimes on the show well I had actually gone on her podcast uh back before the season started she she said she needed somebody like an AFC South expert and I mean I, I all I had to my name at that time was the Falcoholic so uh I I sent her a dm he had, she had her dms open i was like hey like if you need an afc south expert then uh you, you can call me I'll, I'll gladly come on the show she's like but your bio says falcoholic i was like i'm a connoisseur of all things southern and she goes <laughs> <laughs> she goes she was like oh that was fantastic uh yeah you can definitely come on the show so don't, don't, go, don't go back and listen to that episode though because i predicted i predicted that the jags would go 10 and 6 which was obviously horrifically wrong just but, a little uh, just a little off it's a little off, but you know we've we've kind of kept in touch uh, since then. So I just shot her an email. I was like, "Hey, do you want to come on the pod?" She's like, "Absolutely, I, I would love to." And if you haven't listened to that one, you should go because it 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 went off the rails a little bit in the in the second yeah. half. I mean, kind of to be expected, right? Because I was going to say, like, Miko isn't exactly like the most I would say maybe beloved figure uh, amongst, especially. Well, I mean, it's the worst to see like old white sports writers just get yeah. constantly offended by what she does. And like, I'm like, well, you, what do you expect? Like, what's this is, I don't know. What are you look? What are you looking for? But so you, you think she's like a misunderstood figure or, or are the rest of the, is the rest of the world the problem? Uh, I mean, she's definitely said some stuff that was inappropriate, especially about like Jay Glazer last year. I think she had like some, a couple of anti-Semitic comments, but I just like, you know, I feel like we get so stuck in this sphere where all the voices we hear talking about football are so similar, you know, where it's just, you know, like guys like Bill Pullian and just yelling nonsense about the Browns in the in the Osweiler deal. And you don't really hear any fresh perspectives. So I just want to hear other people talk about sports and football and stuff like that. And you know, if we can just have a fun little conversation about whatever, I'm I'm down for that. So I I I wanted to have Mika on because uh, I I just wanted to hear her talk about football and whatever the hell she wanted to talk about. Um, and that's kind of how I that's that's kind of how I like to express myself on Twitter too. Because you know, if, if you can't just I, I mean, at least for me, I can't just talk about football all day long. I agree. I mean, it, it, there's only so much that you can say, especially. 
like in the off season now like with draft Twitter, it, it's fun and stuff, but we see the same like stories over like year after year after year after year. It, it, it gets a little bit repetitive. So I try to, you know, I tweet about music, you know, other stuff on my Twitter account. And I, I think kind of letting people get to see your personality beyond, you know, a, a football robot is, is, I think it helps, you know, boost the brand. I, I couldn't agree more. And I was going to say, yeah, in terms of boosting the brand, like little secret, I'll, I'll let you all into like the vast majority of people don't just want you to sit there and tweet about football all the time. Uh, listen, I mean, I've somehow made like Brussels sprouts, Twitter, a thing this off season. So you can, <laughs> whatever you want to, whatever you're out there, you want to talk about, people are interested in it. The best career advice I ever got that I did not believe at the times from Sigmund Bloom, uh, my 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 dad in the business. Uh, I, love, I love Bloom. Bloom is the best. Um, episode one, go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. Uh, but he he wants. He just told me he's like, whatever you want to put out there, the people want it. The people just want you. They do, it doesn't matter once once you get your voice out there, the people just they want to consume something from you. And at the time, I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why would anybody want to listen to me <laughs> about uh, you know? anything else but other than than wide receivers or whatever but i can confirm at this point yeah it's absolutely true like just people are people like that much more than just talk i mean like you said it would be incredibly boring if we were just talking about football the whole time yeah and you know you know what's funny is that that's actually how uh i got onto the ringer podcast it was back in uh in january when the falcons were about, were about to play the seahawks in the divisional round and i think robert mays had been following me for just a couple of days and it was when I had started, you know, that Seahawks hate week thing, and I was just trolling the hell out of Seahawks Twitter. And I, I posted probably like my fiftieth my fiftieth meme of the week, and I like Seahawks fans were just destroying my mentions. And uh, Robert Mays DM me, he's like, "Yo, I love your energy. Like, this is absolutely hilarious." And so I was like, "Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I can talk to him for a little bit and see what happens." So you know, he had I ended up sending him some of my work, and he really liked it, and he invited me on the podcast. So I think if you can kind of separate yourself from the the i guess the draft twitter drones and like you know what I, I mean when i say that just people who don't do anything but talk draft uh those are the people that like uh, that a lot of people want to hear from if you can kind of show that you are a real person but also show that you're good at writing about football and that you can give insight to that i i i think those are the people that i tend to gravitate to for sure yeah i mean i was gonna i was gonna ask you at some point in the in this discussion like what do you think uh is going to be like your avenue to quote unquote take the next step in this as and before we get to that like i just i throw my two cents out there that like (sighs) people want personality you know this business being in the machine now as much as i have been for about you know a year and a half now with nfl network like it's an entertainment business as much as it is like you need to be smart about football things and like have it nobody cares if you can tweet the smartest tweets about football all day long like people want personality and i think that's something that why i wanted to have you on the show because you embody not only that you're damn good at what you do and you you know you talk about what seeing the stuff on nfl.com and be like i can write that like you definitely know more about football than me you definitely definitely know more about the game than i do and 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 many of the other jokers that i work with uh i'm just kidding but uh like you also have a, a a good voice and personality, and I think that's important. So, now that I've said that, all that, like, I'm assuming that this is kind of what you do. You want to like be a football analyst for your career? Is, is that your kind of goal, or what's what's the plan for you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't really know what the plan is right now. I mean, I'm just kind of, I don't know, just kind of doing my thing. Uh, I, I want to get into like radio or being a football analyst, something like that, where I can, you know, make a real full time living off this. Um, but I mean, I, I think a, a good piece of advice is just don't, you know, don't be shy. Like, I, like when we were at the Senior Bowl uh, this year, a few months ago, we were, you know, just chilling at the bar one night and. Like it's all you know, draft Twitter crew just kind of like packed into a corner drinking beers, and I look up, I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is kind of whack. Like there's like 15 dudes just sitting at a, a table drinking beers. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of whack. So I looked up and I see, you know, like there's Ian Rappaport, there's Andy Benoit, uh, there's all these coaches and scouts. I'm like, I should, I mean, what 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 the hell 
I might as well just go talk to them, you know, see what can happen. And uh, <laughs> a story for off air, but uh, I had a pretty funny encounter with uh, uh, Mike Vrabel, which was he, he's a, he's a very intense person. But oh, you know, boy. just going go yeah, just going up to int- introducing yourself to you know coaches, and you'd be surprised like if you're friendly and uh, like give the first give off the give off a good vibe on your first approach. You'd be surprised, like what people will will do for you, and like if they'll give you your contact information, stuff like that. Like Ian, like I made Ian Rappaport laugh, and he gave me his business card and like hit me up when you want me to come on the podcast, and that's how we got him on the show. I was just, I just went up and started talking to him. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Let let the record show, though. I think I was the I was on the show before Ian, so we know how the yeah we know yeah. how the NFL network hierarchy goes. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, uh, don't look at don't look at bank accounts or uh, Twitter followers. Just look at who went on the Setting the Edge podcast first. But kind of want to transition the show before kind of we get out of here. Uh, you talk about being on Twitter, talking about things more than just football. One of the one of the topics that you're pretty vocal on is is race, and uh, especially as it relates to the game of football. Uh, you had a a series of great tweets a little while ago, um, and you're what at four verts now. You've ditched the Sunday yeah. fiasco, which yeah, thank thank God. That was uh, what was what was the thought behind that before we had man like I well so this was when I was just like getting started. I had a lot of tweets at so but like before the Senior Bowl uh, in 2015, I just had a lot of tweets that were just mean, like to like to other writers that was going to be seen in a few days. And so, like literally the day before I I went for the senior bowl, I just went I googled uh like Twitter at like like a Twitter handle generator, and I just used the first one that came up. Oh my god! Well, I, I just punched it in. Well, at but least you at least your intentions were pure. Yeah. So I mean, but I I, I think that's an important step too, just kind of learning that people are allowed to have their own opinions, and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, nobody's you know, nobody's keeping score here. Nobody's keeping score as much as you know some draft Twitter people would like to keep score. No, nobody's nobody's really doing that. Uh, so yeah, thanks. Shout out to my friend Boney Romo who had the four words at saved for God knows what, and he, he let me have it. It's a good. That's a pretty good ad as a as a receiver guy too. I I, I dig yeah. that. But anyways, so if you're not following Charles, you can follow him at Four Verts. Uh, and you had a good series of tweets a little while ago, and you actually went on our friend uh, Sully's podcast, uh, the I Hate Sully podcast, and talked about this too about um, black quarterbacks. And I kind of just want to give you the floor here to to kind of hit on your thoughts there about this because I think it's an important subject to have, especially with the draft coming up, and you know guys like. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, and and some of the the discussion that's been about them. So essentially, just kind of, what was your what was your point in those in those discussions? Like, what do you think the world needed to hear? Uh, just that sports aren't really an escape from reality as much as people want them to be. You know, like when you think about, so like my, my initial point was like when you think about quarterback, right? The general, like that's the peak of you know intelligence intellectualism on a football field and you know it's still we still have the stigma today that you know black people aren't as smart as white people and like you see as we've gone throughout the history of football in the nfl you know like black quarterbacks just haven't gotten the same chances as uh as white quarterbacks you know i mean kellen clemens is still in the league and checks but as a backup for the chargers I, I didn't even know that until until last season when i just kind of googled his name one day i was like holy shit he's still in the league <laughs> and uh <laughs> and it, you know it, it's just crazy like how you see the same narratives over and over and over again for for these black quarterbacks and so like we can just use deshaun watson this year for an example you know three-year starter lost two games in his college career and one of the losses against alabama was like one of the best college one of the best performances you'll see from any player in history like it, it, that was like texas vince vince young but unfortunately they couldn't pull off the win uh and you just see him have all these spectacular games and he posts these mind-boggling numbers and they win a lot and people are just doubting him i'm like well like, like well what's your criticism of him oh he's he's a one-read quarterback he he doesn't read the field i mean that that's just it, people are just saying things that's not true you know and i can i can look at uh I can I can go back and watch his offense and see like all the stuff that he's doing pre snap and how he's getting guys ready and 
things he's able to do from different formations. And, you know, like this is a really intelligent guy. And like, is he a perfect quarterback? No, of course not. No, no, no one would say that. I have never said that he's a perfect quarterback. I just think he's a really good pro prospect. And then, you know, so you have the decorated career of Deshaun Watson. You have him. If if I could just chime in real quick on on this because I think it's an important point too. It's something that I always talk about with uh, with 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 watching film in general. Like with observational science, you just inherently tend to see when you see something one time and, and you're already predisposed to believe that. You just you confirm it and especially when it and it's just double in this instance with Deshaun Watts because I, I watch a ton of Mike Williams obviously and you know there are plays certainly where he locks onto Williams and and hucks it up to him you know regardless oh, yeah. but you know that's that's not necessarily always a negative and it's also not something that you consistently see throughout Watson's game and I it's just again it's like a double confirmation bias here because not only are you predisposed to think that this that this quarterback is a one read quarterback because that's what you hear everywhere. But then you also are predis like you said, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you're predisposed to think you know black quarterback not as smart as white quarterback. Therefore, one read one read guy. I mean, and when people were saying that about Dak Prescott this year, it was like, yo, you really just must not be watching the games. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I wasn't as high. I mean, I did I like Dak Prescott coming out of college, but I did not expect him to do what he did last year. I mean, the Cowboys didn't even expect that. Yeah, uh, right. But you know, just going back to so like you look at Deshaun Watson's career and it like he has everything that that like you want from a, like a like a background standpoint for a franchise quarterback. And, you know, he graduated college early and people are they're doubting like his mental acumen and stuff like that. I'm like, well, where are you even getting that from? It doesn't make sense. And then we have Mitch Trubisky come from uh, UNC. And I don't even think Mitch Trubisky is a bad quarterback. I, I think he's fine. Like he's a fine prospect. But like you hear people talk about, oh, he's so good at reading the field and, you know, he he's manipulative to the defensive backs and you know his offense is harder than Watson's. I'm like, where are you getting that from? Where are you getting that from? Because when I look at the offense and I compare Clemson's offense to UNC's offense, I mean, they're almost carbon copies of each other. You're like They're pretty much asking the quarterbacks to do the same exact thing. So why are you getting that this guy is so much smarter than that one? And What's even funny about the Mitch Trubisky discussion is, like, Marquise Williams took that same UNC team with the same skill talent to an 11 and 2 record, and you know Mitch Trubisky comes in and you know they kind of lose that uh, threat on the ground with the legs, uh, and they went eight and five. So it's just kind of weird to see like how we prop guys up and like who gets propped up and who has to come down. Like I remember on a. Uh, on Mel Kuyper's first draft podcast uh, a few months ago, I think it was right, it was either right before the national title game or right after the national title game. He said Deshaun Watson had character issues. Like, yeah, what what character issues? Like, you you've never heard about him getting in trouble. All his coaches give him a glowing review. He graduated early. Like, I, I, I like it doesn't even make sense. Like, where you're getting that from? And it, it it just gets tiring. Like, just to hear the same thing over and over and over again, and then. Like to see, to so to people will say, oh, Deshaun Watson, like he's not a first round guy. But these same people also said that Jared Goff was like a can't miss quarterback prospect. And he was abysmal last year, like Blaine Gabbert level bad. And uh, I, don't, I, I could go on forever about this, but like going back to my original point, you know, don't think about, don't, don't assume that sports are uh, an escape from reality because the, the constructs are the same. So even if you you just look at the head coaching ranks in the NFL, there's like, well, I think we have like five or six black head coaches now in a league where the majority of the players are black. It, 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 I mean, it's pretty clear if you just think about it for a second about how America has progressed and how it leaks into our sports and on the surface, how like it's all right there. But people want to believe that football and sports are meritocracy when it. It, that's really just not the case. And I mean, we can even look at Colin Kaepernick, what's happening to him right now. And if you take away the, you know, what he, what, what he did in uh, 2013 and 2014 or, or in 2014, 2015, when he was, he had a down year and you take away the protest, right? You look at, a, if you just look at the numbers, you have a quarterback that threw 16 touchdowns and four picks in 11 games. And, uh, with what everybody would say is 
the worst supporting cast in the NFL outside of Carlos Hyde. You know, you have your, your starting receiver, your best receiver is Jeremy Curley. There, that's not a situation where anybody can thrive. So, I mean, if you're telling me that I can get a guy who went 16 and four with that supporting cast and a defense that gave up 425 yards a game, which is like almost an NFL record, I mean, that's somebody that I want to take a chance on. But then, I guess you look, you put the the social uh, aspect back on top of it and, you know, like the average football fan is, I feel like very militaristic with the way they look at the game. And even like coaches are pretty militaristic in the way they look at the game. So when you have a guy that's kneeling during the national anthem, that just makes people furious for some reason. I mean, we've seen the close come out where uh, a guy compared Colin Kaepernick to Ray Carruth who had his girlfriend killed and now the or his pregnant girlfriend killed and now the kid's like permanently disabled because of that mm. and like all he did was he took a knee and he didn't even bring attention to it until uh somebody noticed it like before the last preseason game like hey why were you kneeling during the national anthem and then he said well i believe that this country treats uh minorities unfairly and i think that police brutality is out of control so this is kind of like my way to protest and then he, he donated all the money he's active in the day so we're talking about an objectively good person who had really what I would say an objectively good season considering the circumstances and uh, at the at the most important position in the league. You, you, usually you see guys like that get signed like instantly. Mm. And he's had the success of going back to his Harbaugh days and he's shown that he can succeed in two different offenses. So I think most of the criticisms around him are just dumb and lazy and like we see that, I mean, we're seeing right now, like you can go read any article talking about Colin Kaepernick's 2016 campaign and they just say, oh, well, you know, it was all one read, Chip Kelly, college offense, blah, all right, we don't need him anymore. It's just, it's just dumb and lazy the way we look at it. And you can't, you can't ignore the racial undertones with it. You just can't. What do you say to the people that do? Uh, ignore it because there's certainly a, f- a faction of people out there that say no there's no there's no racial bias you know not in 2016 not with guys like cam newton going number one overall james winston going number one overall this that or the other um what, what do you say to that uh i i, I think there's a I, see the thing but the thing with cam and and james like what i would say what i have said is like it's okay if you're not being vocal about the issues that bother you and as as messed up as that is to say i, I think that uh a lot of people would rather colin kaepernick not say anything and be and just just play football but that's that's not fair i think that's doing him an intellectual you know disservice by saying that he can only play football he can he's not allowed to talk about social issues i mean it, it's you're you're kind of like infringing upon the rights that that people have by saying he he can't he's not qualified to talk about social issues like it's a double standard too to say like oh you you can you can't talk about this but you know you can you can be russell wilson and you know go out and visit a bunch of uh you know children in 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 cancer hospitals you know but it's it's, you can't you can't have it you know that's the same thing when people tell you you know stick to football or whatever they don't tell you stick to football when you tweet about brussels sprouts they they tell you stick to football when you tweet about something that makes them uncomfortable yeah, or, or, and, or, or goes against their beliefs. Yeah, and it, it's so funny. Like Martin Luther King has a quote uh, where he says, the, the most dangerous person, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but the most dangerous person uh, like in the way of black people isn't the KKK member, it's the white moderate who would prefer the protest, who who is allowing you to have the protest, but would prefer it to be on like on their terms. So like we, like, I mean, my timeline was littered with people who were saying, oh, you know, it's just, I wish he, like, he's allowed to protest. I just wish he would do it a different way. And then, you know, a few months later, you have all these people talking about how, like, how, like what a great man Martin Luther King Jr. was. And I'm like, mm. Mm, that's, that's a little fishy right there. But yeah, it, the, the double standards are everywhere. And for, for Josh McCown to get a job for the, with the Jets, and he was abysmal last year. And then, like, you just never see a quarterback coming off a legitimately good year not get signed. And, it, like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I, I talked about this on, on my other podcast, too. Like, and maybe I'm being the that that white moderate that you're saying. Like, because I, I, def, I mean, I'm definitely in support of his protests. Like, I 
absolutely like this it's stupid to think like you should only protest you should protest but only on these terms like do you know what a protest is like about (laughs) (laughs) it's not supposed to be like a convenient tea party that happens on your terms like it's supposed to be something that disrupts the social order because something's wrong with the social order you know that's the point but i i think like again maybe again i'm just being like overly skeptical or whatever but if like he's not signed by july or august then i'm like yeah he's absolutely being blackballed but i wonder if there's more context to it too by by now or in march but or in, it's almost April. It's, it is April, right? It is. Oh, God, yeah, it April. is April. Yeah, you know, geez. Uh, yeah, so if he, like, goes that far without it being signed, I think that says – it says a lot. It says a lot about the NFL uh, that, that people probably don't want to admit. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with essentially what you're saying about the, the protest part of it. Like, it's un, it's unbelievable that, to think that, you know, people, again, want it all on, on their terms. But, like you said, people want to view sports – um as an escape from reality when it's really not i mean th- these are it's these not. are these are human beings operating on human being terms and to think that like bias and everything shuts off just because sports are on like that just means like do you just want to turn off your brain that's in- it's it's crazy just to me naive or i mean i think people who who think like that have been afforded a, a special privilege privilege that you know not everybody has Right. And I say this all the time, like as a straight white male from like an upper middle class family, I've I've been playing life on rookie mode for ever. But to not to again, you know, to not be like to think critically, I think that's the thing for 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 white people out there is like, you know, yeah, we've been afforded a lot of privileges throughout our lives and and not just white people either. But like, you got to you got to just again think critically and i think that's what something i want to encourage people always with sports is like it's not it's not a tv show it's not a uh, it's not a movie like these are real life actors on a real life stage playing out things that happen all around us all the time and um I've, you've had a, a lot of great thoughts on this and just kind of one last question on it like where do you think we go from here uh as a sports viewing point because it does i mean as a country it feels like we're at a crossroads on a number of different levels um feels like it's gone backwards yes (laughs) it's it it certainly has uh talk about something that's like it feels like a tv show but it's actually real life playing out every day um but i do have to like seriously sometimes i listen to i listen to npr a lot and like sometimes i'm listening to their their like news podcast and i have to remind myself like no this isn't serial like this is actually real life Yeah. But, but I, I just my question is like where do where do you where do we go from here? Like does this ever get to a point where you think that like more people are woke to what what the like the black quarterback stigma or do you think that at any point like we see a more evening out? Because I, I would say like much like in the in, in with our country right now, like we're at kind of that crossroads, especially with, with, with the black quarterback in, in particular because so many of those guys like get moved to playing quarterback in high school or in college because the athletic advantage at that level is just such a such a bigger advantage and yeah. you know that might even be a stereotype to say like well they're more athletic like they or whatever but I just I don't know I I, I don't have an answer for that one but it, I mean shit like it, they're just faster it just happens I don't know well it's just I mean, yeah it just seems like there's more and more like that 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 pop up and again I think it's because of that like an athletic advantage or whatever and maybe that's a get more maybe that's the coaching staff being you know with the confirmation bias there or whatever but. More and more, you're seeing it because of the way the game is changing at the high school and college levels. Uh, so I think again, we're at kind of more of a crossroads where we're going to have to face this more and more in the coming years. Where, where do you think? How do you think that plays out? Where do you think we go from here? Man, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, 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 I wish I had an answer for you, but I, I don't. I mean, you you look at where like the college game is headed, right, or, or where it is now, where every team is running hurry up, spread option, quarterbacks running it, handing it off and doing all these ball fakes, like you would like to have an athlete, a quarterback to do that. And I, I, like I, you know, we look at the guys who have been good at that in the past, you know, Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson, uh, Vince Young, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Those guys are usually black. It's just how it goes. And at what point does the NFL adjust to the talent they're getting from the college level? 
because I mean we've seen that that offense can work because we saw with the Bills last year the Panthers got to the Super Bowl with it so it's not like it has to be a thing that we keep away from the NFL I think it's just going to have to be a, a moment of clarity I guess for the NFL where they say hey this is this is what we're being given we can choose to make it work or just be ignorant and suffer from awful quarterback play for God knows what reason. I mean, you are you already see the talk of move Lamar Jackson to receiver. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, he's a like when you watched him. I mean, I I, I love Louis, Louisville's offense, and I've just been kind of like uh, watching it, like the all twenty two. And I'm a nerd, so I draw like plays down that I, I think are sure. interesting. Uh, you know he's he's really good at going through his progression, so it's just funny. Like when you see, oh, well, he should be a receiver. Well, he might be the best quarterback class. He might be the best quarterback for next year's class, which is well. And the answer might be that maybe he is at some point. Like maybe he is a receiver or whatever. Maybe he's not. But like the 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 part that's the problem to me, at least my opinion is like when that is the immediate assumption. Like yeah, you yeah. see a couple of, again, it's that confirmation bias from observational science. Like you see, you see him like a, make a couple bad throws and you're right away. Like, Oh yeah, he, he needs to, to move a receiver and he's definitely got some, some wild throws in there. Let's just oh, put it yeah, that yeah. way. But yeah, like he, you, you see a couple of that, the immediate instinct is all right. He needs to just move to receiver. When, like you said, we've got Blaine Gabbard out here taking significant snaps. We've got Mike Glennon getting 14, $15 million a year. The answer can't like right away be all right. Let's just like, again. Maybe that is his his future, but like let's let the guy like try. Let's, tr- let's let it try. Like let's let it play out. Like he's not even in the draft this year, man. It's yeah. I'm not saying like I don't like. I'm not saying any any of these guys are going to be the greatest quarterback ever. But hell, I mean, if if Blake Bortles can go out and throw like 50 pick sixes and keep his job, why would you assume that like literally anybody else is worse than that? You know, like, right, or, right. or why is, if Matt Shaw can keep a job, why can't, uh, what, like, why, why can't Vince Young keep a job? If, if all, if all you need him to do is just sit there and hold a clipboard. Yeah. Why I mean, we had a contract standoff with Ryan Fitzpatrick actually happening this time a year ago. Let's yeah, just and, let that sink in. Yeah. With Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the funny thing, I, 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 that story just makes me laugh because he didn't work out at all during the summer. He came into camp over shape and just had a horrific year. So I'm, I'm always kind of laughing at guys who finesse a system like that. But like, like you said, we're just rehashing the same names over and over and over again. And at at some point it's just going to have to end. I mean, could you, Ryan Fitzpatrick in particular, like you said, openly kind of, you know, it's, it's not the secret, like didn't work out in the summer, didn't work out when he was not signed. Like, He's also like, obviously the Harvard thing gets thrown around. If you really watch Ryan Fitzpatrick and like break down the game film, he's a pretty dumb quarterback. Like, yeah, he, he sucks. <laughs> but he's white, and, and, he, and the thing, the thing with uh, like, like he had the year in twenty fifteen where he posted like thirty one touchdowns and fifteen picks. But dude, he was just throwing up YOLO bombs to Brandon Marshall, and Brandon Marshall was coming down. Like the, the passes weren't accurate. Like, or he would throw a screen to somebody, and they run in for a touchdown. Yeah, so he had I the Eric Decker cheat code in the red zone. Right. So when you, when you kind of break it down just beyond the numbers and look at how they're playing, you'd be like, dude, this is asinine. Like, why are we trying to throw millions of dollars at this guy? But we can't give, you know, somebody else who plays a game a little bit differently another chance. It's, 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 it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we could really have a, a long, circuitous conversation about this, but I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. It's like I said, it's something I really wanted to get uh, get your thoughts on, on on the show. I think it's a good – it's something that was especially right now in, in this point in history, like it's something we absolutely need to have, uh, have on the record. Um, but, Charles, this has been fantastic. It's been great uh, talking to you for, on a number of different issues. I always give the guest kind of one last shot at the floor uh, before I yank it out from under them and, and we get out of here. Uh, so before we head out, the floor is yours to uh, to say whatever you please. Uh, go on iTunes and give and subscribe to Setting the Edge podcast with me and my good friend Justice Mosqueda. We are two five star reviews away from the Roto World NBC podcast, like Roto World Football podcast, with Josh Norris. And if we get more five star reviews than him, I know it will drive him absolutely insane. So just go on there, subscribe, five star review. And stay tuned to the show. And if you're interested in draft guides, uh, we are NFL 1000s rolling out team by team draft guides, which are, you know, it's something to read, I guess. 
It is something to read. I have not left you guys a five star review yet. So after thanks, thanks for coming on to say thanks for coming on this podcast. I will go give you one of those too, and I'm sure one of my many uh, loyal minions here on the show will be happy to uh, to leave that review. Anything that anything that uh, st- to stick it to Josh is good is good with me. Um, yes. But yeah, Charles, thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you definitely uh, check out the Setting the Edge podcast. And uh, in terms of this podcast, we are here 51 episodes. Uh, if you haven't yet, go back and check out the 50th episode to, to hear a lot of the guests chime in and uh, talk about what the show really means to them. It was an awesome, it was an, honestly an overwhelming experience to uh, to listen to all of those <laughs> positive things being uh, being said about uh, this show and and from some sort of extension uh, to me as well. But Thanks to everybody that uh, that tuned in. Make sure you go like just like after you leave a setting the edge review, leave this show a, a five star review, and uh, that is a, a nice way to show your appreciation. But uh, for Charles, for me, uh, thank you everybody so much for listening today, and I hope you learned something.